As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, you're listening to Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined this week by Jack Pete Brook. Hi, Jack. Hey, David. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. You well? It's been a, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, thanks. I'm uh, just watching a lot of behind-closed-doors football on television, like everyone else. That is the way of these things at the moment, really, isn't it? It's, um, you can sign up to The Athletic right now for just £1 per week as well, so just go to theathletic.com forward slash pod to take advantage of the offer, where you can read everything on City, including all of Sam Lee's recent pieces, like the one looking at Bernardo Silva's role in the team, now that David Silva's no longer there, plus the look at the Mancunian youngsters that played a part in City's FA Youth Cup victory. Um, Jack, you've also got a back catalogue of articles as well, like, uh, I mean, the, the the one that I think uh, I feel like you're especially proud of is the oral history of soccer AM. Yeah, I think that's probably the best thing I've done since I've been at The Athletic. Uh, just because it's such a popular show and I think it, it tapped into a lot of people's love for the show. Um, at the moment, I made, so I've been doing England at the moment. So I went to the England-Ireland game at Wembley last week. I imagine I'm going to the England-Iceland game at Wembley on Wednesday night, uh, as well as keeping an eye on various different Tottenham Hotspur pieces, which I'm working on with my colleague Charlie. Lovely stuff. Well, if you want to uh, read into any of that, then you can sign up for just £1 a week now. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Um, Jack, as we said, it's been a while since you've been on the show. So I just want to, before we kind of dig into City Spurs this weekend, which uh, I, I guess you're the perfect guest for this week as well. Um, I, I want to get your perspective on on how the, the Premier League is shaping up, especially from a City point of view at the moment. Because City are 10th, they're six points off the top, but they've got a game in hand. How, what, what are you feeling about it all? Well... I'm not confident. I'm not optimistic about City's chances this year of winning the league. Um, I think I don't think it's going to be like the last few seasons where there's going, where we saw a teams at the top with around 100 points. I think this year is just going to be too different for that. Uh, I think it, you know, some somewhere in the 80s. I think we'll probably win it, but I just don't really fancy City based on what I've seen of them so far this season. I think that the I think they're struggling for consistency. I think they're struggling for intensity. Uh, I don't think they can produce a strong 90-minute performance anymore compared to what they used to be able to do. I think they're 
underlying numbers, particularly going forward, are really, really down on what they used to be. Um, you know, I, I think they'll probably get top four. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a disastrous season, but I just can't really see it. I can't really see them winning the title, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, it's it's five Premier League games in a row now that City have scored only once. And, I mean, that would almost be unthinkable for, for a Pat Guardiola team, you know, a couple of, certainly, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, City got, remember, City got, what was it, 102 goals in the league in 17-18 and then 99 goals, I think, off the top of my head, in 18-19 in the league. I mean, uh, you know, they were the most kind of productive goal-scoring team in modern English football history. But if you look, at, you know, I appreciate they can, if you're looking at a small, if you're looking at something like goals scored over a small number of games, then perhaps... Yeah, there might be variation at play, but if you look at like the XG is down from I think two. So this, these are numbers all ripped from our uh, maths genius colleague Tom Warville, who's an expert on this sort of thing. But Tom was saying on Twitter the other day that City's XG is down from two point three per game last year to one point one per game this year. The number of shots is down massively from nineteen per game last year to fourteen per game this year. Their XG per shot is down from 0.12 last season to 0.08 this year, which means, you know, they're creating a lower quality of chance and not creating quite so good chances anymore. So I just think across the board that there is a very, very clear decline in City's attacking play this year. Like, that is, you know, that's obvious when you watch them. Like, if you watch them on telly, they're obviously much less good than they were in previous years. And then if you look at the numbers as well, it bears out exactly the same story. Um and they, I mean, they have been without a recognised centre forward for quite a while now. I mean, I look at the games like Leeds, Arsenal, West Ham, Sheffield United, Liverpool. I mean, like several of those they played without a striker. That's true. That's absolutely true. And it might well be that when that when Aguero and Jesus get fully fit, then um, you know we'll, we'll see a, a stronger a stronger City team. That said, uh, I don't. I think there are still under. I think there are still underlying problems there apart from the striking issue. I also think that City have allowed the striking situation to drift a bit in the last year or so. Uh, you know, we all, Sergio Aguero is 32 now. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, there's questions about just how good he actually is going to be. Um, maybe they should have bought another striker, I don't know. But I uh, uh, I think there are, you know, I think that is a fair point in City's defence about the striker, but I, I still think there are problems there which are bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the goals scored, um, I mean, I, I, like I say, I know City have played one game fewer than most of these teams, um, but Chelsea have 20 this season, Spurs 19, Leicester, Liverpool, Aston Villa 18, Southampton, Everton 16, uh, West Ham, Leeds 14, Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace, Manchester United both outscoring City with 12, and Brighton with 11, City down there on 10. Um it just it just feels like like they go into a game at the moment and, they, and, and the defence is the one that's kind of dragging them through right now. Yeah, completely. It just, it just, it's just so different when you watch them from how it was two or three years ago. You know, we all know, you know, it wasn't a long time ago. We all remember what it was like watching City back in sort of 2017, 18, 19. The way that they would just dominate teams, they'd control the ball all the time. They would be relentless when they lost it, which they're not anymore. They would sweep, they would cut straight through teams with their with their pressing and their movement off the ball and their energy, and they'd quickly get it down to the byline, put it back in the Guerrero, put it in, or whatever. They'd have Sane and Sterling. You know, I mean, Sterling, frankly, is actually playing better than a lot of players at the moment, but 
in Missone as well. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of fans have, have uh, got in touch with the show over the last kind of three, four, five, six weeks and so, uh, kind of putting the finger on one of the reasons for City's chances not being as good as they used to be is that they now play with their wingers on the wrong side. So they have Sterling cutting in from the from the left and Mares cutting in from the right. And the pitch at that end of the, uh, 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 the attacking end of the pitch is really narrow because of that. And it's quite easy to defend against. And you think about that classic City side of, uh, of 2017-18, you'd say Sane is dragging it wide left, Sterling's dragging it wide right, and the and the opposition defence have no way of cutting out all of that space for that that's that's created. Um, I, I mean, is that is that's a kind of a problem that you think City have kind of slept walked into in letting Sane go and, and not replacing him? A bit, yeah, a bit. I think the I think the Sane situation has been handled terribly. Like I I know that there's a view at City that he wasn't professional, that he wanted too much money, that he was getting bad advice, that sort of thing. You know. Sane's a once-in-a-generation player. If you have someone like that, you keep him. Um, you don't let him go because if you do let him go, you're not going to replace him with anyone nearly as good. Like City are not, you know, Ferran Torres looks like a really good player, but he's not a replacement for Sane. He's also like, not particularly left-sided either. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, I completely buy that criticism that City are not as City are maybe a bit more narrow now than they used to be. I don't think, I think a big part of that, like you say, is Mares. I don't think Mares has been especially good. I mean, he's been fine, but given the money the City spent on him, I don't think he's obviously improved what City have got, given that City already have players who can do that kind of cutting in from the right thing. Like Bernardo Silva, frankly, could do that. a lot of what Mares does, cutting in from the right uh, onto his left foot just as well as Mares has done it for City. Um, so I don't think he's been a, I don't think he's been a fantastically good signing overall. Um, and that's why, yeah, uh, I think City are just... That is another of the reasons, but I think not the only reason, why I think City are just a less good attacking force than they used to be. I think I think the real reason, or one of, one of the biggest reasons, is just to do with time. Like, this is Guardiola's fifth season as City manager. He's never been a manager for as long a period of time as this before. Like he did four seasons at Barcelona. Barcelona were rubbish in his fourth season. He did three seasons at Bayern Munich. I don't quite given everything we know about Guardiola, how intense he is, how demanding, how precise, you know, everything that we know from reading reports on him or watching the Amazon documentary or any of the evidence that we have, you know, you can't expect you can't expect a way of working like that to last forever. Like it's just it, it's just not going to. It's perfectly natural, I think, that the players would get a bit tired and fed up and bored of Guardiola after that amount of time. Like, you know, that is just what, you know, one thing we know about footballers is they don't have an infinite attention span. Like, they do eventually get bored of of that sort of management. So, um, I think it's quite possible that the City players could do with a bit of a refresh, a bit of some new ideas, uh, a bit of new energy around the place. And I think that's one of the reasons why they just, they they press they don't press as well as they used to they're not as intense off the ball as they used to be and that's why they look a bit a bit leggy compared yeah. to the city teams the last few years I mean, all of that said, I mean, like you could be forgiven for thinking it's uh, like a disaster zone at the moment, the way we're talking, but it is one Premier League defeat all season. They're going well in the Champions League and the Carabao Cup as well. It's like the, the, there, are, there are positives to take from this start of the season. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think some of the new signings have been good. I think Torres is good. I think Diaz is really good. I think Aki looks fine. Um, you know, it's not... I don't think they're going to have a Mourinho season. Like, I don't think they're going to come 10th. Uh, I think they'll probably stay in the top four. They'll probably win a cup just because they've got so much experience at winning these big games. 
you know, they, they could win the league. Like Liverpool, you know, Liverpool have lost their two best centre-backs for most of the season. Um, and themselves, you know, in the sort of fifth season, fifth full season of Jurgen Klopp um, at the club and have just had two exhausting years in which they won the Premier League and the Champions League. Uh, so I don't think Liverpool are like a guarantee. And they conceded seven goals to Aston Villa the other week. So Liverpool are not a guarantee this year at all. It's it's going to be an incredibly open season. I think, you know, I think any number, I think almost anyone can win the league this year. Yeah. Um, is it almost so, a survival and, of the fittest in that in that? Yeah, sense? yeah, it really is. I think it's also, I think it's survival of the fittest a lot. I also just think it's very random. I think it's very, it's like when Leicester won the league in 15-16. Like, I think everything is on the table. Like, this is, this is the weirdest season in football history. Like we're play, it's being played behind closed doors. Like last year, I think people were on board with behind closed doors because it's a way of finishing the season. Whereas now we're going to do a whole season of behind closed doors. The players are obviously exhausted. They had what three weeks off in preseason. They're playing a ridiculous schedule now, which is getting worse. I think um, no one's backing down in terms of the organization of games. You know, you see that from international pointless international friendlies. You see it from pointless like EFL Cup games being played. So the schedule's relentless. Players are getting injured all the time. Uh, we're seeing more and more random results. I think it's an, it's just incredibly high variance. Like I wouldn't want to make... If you're making predictions or betting money on this, you're, on this right now, you are incredibly brave. You know, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think City could win the league, or City could have a terrible season and come like seventh, eighth, or ninth. Like everything is on the table. Um, so I'm not, too, I'm not, I'm not down on City in the sense I don't think it's possible they can win the league. I'm down on City in the sense I don't think they're very good. But you know, bad teams have won the league before. Jack, we've talked about this being Guardiola's uh, fifth season at City. There's there's talk at the moment that he he might be close to a, a, a greener extension, but as it stands, he's, uh, this is his final season. I know City fans will be interested in uh, in the potential for Pochettino replacing him. Um, where what sort of appointment do you think that'd be for City? I think that'd be a great appointment, getting Pochettino. Um, I and I think it's plausible. I think Pochettino has been very patient since he was sat by Spurs almost exactly one year ago. He's had lots and lots of offers and lots of interest from clubs of all levels. Um, Pochettino wants to go and manage a bigger club, a bigger club than Spurs. He wants the challenge of being under pressure to win titles, working with top players, all that, that entails. Um, obviously he hasn't got there yet. I mean, it's no, you know, I think he was interested in the Barcelona job back in the summer, which went to Ronald Koeman instead. Um, I think he might've been interested in Juventus, but, uh, they went for Andrea Pirlo instead. Um, but I think that in the next year, a lot of big jobs are going to come up. I think Solskjaer is not going to last forever at Man United. I think, well, you know, this is the last season of Guardiola's contract at City, um, I don't think Zidane will last forever at Real Madrid. I think Tuchel's probably on the way out at PSG. Uh, Conte probably won't last very long at Inter, given his relationship with the board. Um, does, so there's po- gonna... does Pochettino have, have uh, basically a say? Does he have uh, the choice then, almost? Well, it's no, it's not quite. It probably won't be quite as simple as that because it's there have been jobs in the past that he. You know, where I think he might have had a chance and he didn't end up getting, like Barcelona going for Kuman over him or like Juventus going for Pirlo over him. But I do think he will, there'll be a lot of opportunities this year which could well end up having his name on if he wanted them. Um, and I think 
I think he. I can see why he would be attractive to City. I mean, I think the City hierarchy have liked Pochettino for a while. I think if they're looking for someone who is who manages to continue some aspects of Guardiola's style of play while also being, in, in other ways, quite a different character, I think he, and as well as being somebody who knows the Premier League very well, speaks English, I think he would be he would be a really, really good fit. Uh, that's not to say that I think it'll happen or that I even think it would be Pochettino's first choice because I think there's there's other stuff that he might want to do as well. But yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And I think if City were trying to think of who would be the best possible replacement for Pep, if Pep is to go in sort of June 2021, I think you know, it, it would be hard to find a better option than Pochettino. Yeah, if if Guardiola wants to extend, um, I'm guessing that, that you feel like City would just extend his contract. Well... That's what they say, isn't it? That is that is what they say, and it, it, they they'd be happy to have Pep for longer. I, I personally, I would need to be convinced that I thought giving Pep a sixth season would lead to some kind of improvement. Um, I I haven't really seen anything this season to suggest that City are about to turn a corner and get good again next year. Like if City are, if I mean whoever the, whoever the manager is next year, they'll obviously need quite a lot of changes to the squad, not least up front, I think. Um, so I don't know whether, I, I genuinely don't know whether I think giving Guardiola a new contract at this point would be the right thing to do. Um, I just don't, I find it very difficult to make a prediction as to whether or not City would improve next year under him. What do you reckon? Uh, I don't know. Would you think they'd improve on, under Pochettino if, if that was the choice next season? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think... I think if I think if City had the option between giving Guardiola a new deal and appointing Pochettino in the summer, I think it would be a better decision on a kind of three, four-year view to get in Pochettino, who is more likely to improve the team in the medium term, rather than keep going with a manager who is a genius and has done incredible work at City, but is probably unlikely to keep improving the team over a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth year at the club. Yeah, my my only worry is um, that that Guardiola has peaked at City, and that peak was was like nothing we've ever seen before in English football. But it's kind of like, how do you do you end up get, then kind of carrying on and carrying on, trying to chase that back when ultimately the best option might just be a complete refresh? I'm completely on the fence with this. I don't know. Um, I love what Guardiola has achieved at City, but I just don't know whether um, whether they'll ever get that back again. I completely agree. But it's just the nature of modern football is that nothing lasts forever and even the best managers work work best in short spells. Like there isn't going to be another Ferguson or Wenger again. It's just not gonna happen. Um so I don't think you know, I don't I don't think City should necessarily keep Guardiola forever in the hope that he becomes Sir Alex Ferguson. He's just not going to. Um, I think maybe next, I mean, depending on what happens this year, maybe next year it would be time for a different uh, a different man in the managerial seat. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Spurs are obviously one of the teams that City are chasing. You cover Spurs uh, quite a lot for the Athletic. Um, 
Uh, how important is this game for the shaping up of the table? Because this, this is an opportunity for Spurs to put distance between them and City, but it's also an opportunity for City to close that gap. Yeah, well, Spurs are exactly the kind of team who I think can win the league this year, who I think, you know, they couldn't obviously win it in the last few years, but this year, because it's going to be more open, City and Liverpool are not going to be as good. I don't think there's any, I don't think they've got much to worry about from Arsenal or Manchester United. I think Chelsea, Chelsea might be up there, although let's have, let's wait and see on that one. Um, Spurs totally could, for, you know, Spurs have definitely got enough to win the title this year, I think. It's not to say they will do it, but I think it's not implausible. Um, they've got really good individuals. They've got an experienced manager who, uh, you know, has been there and done it b- before and seems to be quite a good fit at Tottenham at the moment. So yeah, I, I, I've got. I have. I'm not going to say I've got faith in their ability to do it, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year Spurs have won it. Yeah, I'm. I'm, in, I'm interested in the Mourinho switch uh, with Pochettino because, I, I mean, firstly, I when I when I used to watch Pochettino Spurs, I used to like watching them, and for a City fan, that's quite a hard thing to say. You know, I, I've been I've been brought up to to for whatever reason to not like Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so Pochettino making them attractive and, and interesting to watch was was a weird feeling for me. Um, but then on on top of that, like I, I didn't think that the swap with Mourinho was a good one at the time. I didn't. I I, I thought Mourinho was a busted flush, was done and dusted, couldn't couldn't offer anything for the Premier League anymore and yet here we are in a position where his team are that they're scoring plenty of goals and they look they look a real attacking threatening force which is not something that you'd have said for his Manchester United team for instance yeah I agree like I I wasn't I didn't think it was the right decision when they replaced Pochettino with Mourinho I I think they had to sack Pochettino because I thought he was done there he was you know clearly it stopped working but I I wouldn't have gone for Mourinho because of what happened to him at Chelsea second time around and Manchester United. I think in practice, I think taking a job at a lower level of club has actually been good for Mourinho because it's allowed him to get back some of that kind of underdog spirit a bit, which he had at the start of his career, but then you can't really have when you're managing Real Madrid or Manchester United yeah, because you're right at the very top of the game. Um, in terms of the football, they have played some really good stuff this year. Um, Clearly, the combination of Kane in a slightly deeper role and then Son running beyond him, and I think eventually Bale when he gets fit, will be really effective. The last, I think they're still they are, they are still finding their way. Like the last few games, uh, like the win against Burnley or Brighton, they have really had to grind it out, and they haven't been playing especially good stuff. Um, but I think the overall package is a team which has bought well this year, bought really really well actually, and has a way of going forward and scoring goals. They've got some very good players in midfield. I worry a little bit about, about the centre-backs. Um, and, you know, there's enough ingredients there to get to have a really strong sort of 70, 80-point season this year. How, I mean, how does Mourinho set up um, Trouble City this weekend? Because I, I always think um, my big issue with City at the moment is, first off, they're not scoring a lot of chances. Second off, they're not making a lot of chances. And we know from from history that Mourinho is pretty good at if he wants to kill a game, he can kill a game. So I mean, is that is is that likely to be how he'll approach this? Do you think? Yeah, I'm sh- given the example of last year, the the Bergwijn game. Uh, when was that? January, February? Yeah, yeah, I think it was February. Um, 
of this season. I think that I think Spurs will probably try and play a similar way. That is cautious, step a bit back, don't have the ball, bring beckon City onto them, and then hit them hard on the break in behind. Um, Spurs have been incredibly good this year playing that kind of way. They did it away at Saints, away at Old Trafford. Uh, so, the Son and Kane combination, even before you get to Bale, the Son and Kane combination is fantastic in those kind of areas. Um, Reguilon is also incredibly quick. Uh, Bergwijn or, or Bale or Lucas or Lamella, like they've got, they've got the really good options to play that style of play. So I think that's what they'll do. I think you you would worry for them because the centre backs aren't very good. Like they've gone back to playing Dyer and Alderweireld together recently, which is not something Mourinho wanted to do at the start of the season. I don't think I think Alderweireld is not as good as he used to be, and Dyer. Well, let's wait and see if, how he settles over this season. But um, and so you know, if City were playing well, you'd think well Aguero will have will have be able to have quite a lot of fun there. But if City aren't creating anything, then I think I think Spurs can probably be quite confident with that setup. I think Spurs are going to get results in this game. I'm afraid. I just think that the way that I think the Son Kane Bale thing, or certainly Son and Kane, is so good that I just think the way the City defend, which is like halfway up the pitch, is just totally primed for them running in behind. And we all know that if you're going to defend high up the pitch, like City do, you have to be able to put pressure on the ball to stop it from coming in behind you. But um, they City, I don't think can put pressure on the ball very well at the moment, and that's why I think that's why I think Spurs are gonna are gonna cause some problems. Yeah, just looking up the XG from the two games that City played against Spurs last season, obviously two all at the Etihad and, and two nil at uh, away at Spurs. Um, that that away game especially was incredible because if that had gone to the XG, City would have won it three nil. But they actually lost it 2-0. Like Spurs 0.49 over two games scored four goals. That I mean, that that illustrates the point entirely. Yeah, that that's that game at White Hart Lane was one of those uh one of those games that people like half jokingly now call a Mourinho masterclass, just because it was so you know, uh counterattack, no possession, hardly any chances, make the most of your moments. It's just a classic Mourinho thing. And it's not, you know, it's not guaranteed to work. Like more often than not, it won't work, but that was one of those instances where it did work. Um and I'm sure they'll try the same thing again. But I, to be honest, I think Spurs are more likely I think that result is now more likely to happen this Saturday than it was when it happened at the start of the year, just because City are playing worse now and Spurs are playing better now, and Spurs have got more going forward than they did then. And uh, probably, and also I think Spurs are better in midfield now than they were then. Like that's another thing worth saying. Hoybjerg has been a great signing in the middle of the pitch. Lacelso has been kind of a little bit in and out this season, but is a great player. And Ndombele is much much better than he was last year. So Spurs yeah. have got the makings of a really good midfield now. And frankly, I mean, I think City. I think City have struggled in midfield all year, really. I think I don't really know what the best combination is. I mean, clearly Fernandinho is coming to the end. Uh, I'm not the biggest Rodri fan in the world. I've always loved Gundogan, but I think if you play like... Sometimes when City play Rodri and Gundogan in there, it feels a little bit It just feels a little bit slow and it's just very different from the sort of good old days where City would would just be dominant in midfield. Yeah, I just one one thing I'd I'd really like to do, like to see Guardiola ditch is is the idea of both Gundogan and and Rodri to to complement each other, protecting the back four. I'd like to see Gundogan given a go at it on his own 
um, and, and just give a little bit more creative threat at the other end, and, and kind of kind of take the risk that you're going to get counterattacked against. Because I, I, I think at the moment, with with the way that Laporte and Diaz have been playing, um, I think they they they're one on one defending. I mean, this given a weekend where City are playing Kane, Son, and uh, and potentially Bale as well, this has got the this is this is a statement that's got the potential to come back and bite me. Um, but their one on one defending has been so much better recently. So I'd, I'd kind of like like. Guardiola to go well. Let's put an, let's put somebody else on the pitch who Spurs have to worry about in the final third, and uh, and kind of go for the game in that sense. Yeah, and the, the thing with Gundogan is like I love watching him, but he can't defend. And if City play him, if he plays the only holding midfielder, then he'll just get you know he'll have like Kane buzzing around him and a Dombele charging past him, and he'll get it just it, he'll get shown up. I think by Tottenham. If if he plays as the only holder, so I prob if I was Pep, I would play Rodri in this game, but I'm just a bit not wholly sold on the whole Rodri thing uh, at the moment. Eighteen months in, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, it might. I think it's tough for the player coming into a team which is like slightly on the decline by the time you come in. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not like a Rodri boo boy, but I'm just uh, I just don't just not been massively impressed with City in midfield for a while. Yeah, um, I just want to touch on Bale because um, he's he's always been problematic for City in the past. Um, how is he at the moment? Is he likely to be, to play? How fit is he? Um, not fully fit, to be honest. Uh, clearly, he. I mean, he arrived in September, having not played, I think, since June for Real Madrid, and just has taken a while to get up to speed. Like he he did score the other day. Uh, he scored that header at the near post. Um, the opponents completely. <laughs> I've completely forgotten who it was against, but uh, he, so I think he's slowly getting there. But it's not like he's a long way from like the kind of classic Bale who would like run past players and bang it in the bottom corner type player. Um, I'm not saying that guy won't come back, but I think it's going to take him quite a while to get back to uh, some sort of form to fitness. He just because he's just not used to playing that much. Like he barely he's barely played for Real Madrid for a year or two. And now, you know, he's being thrown back into this very busy schedule that Spurs have where they're playing basically twice every week, except for the weeks where they're playing three times. Uh, and yeah, it's a big adjustment. Yeah, so I, I, if you were if you were Guardiola going into this one, you've talked about um, Rodri and uh, and the need for that uh, that that kind of defensive anchor. Um, how would you how would you look at trying to deal with Kane and Son and potentially Bale? Uh, well. Good question. I mean, he's not going to defend deeper, is he? Because he's Guardiola. Like he's he doesn't do that. Yeah. No, he's obviously going to uh, defend high up the pitch. I guess the only the only thing you can do is kind of try and cut them off at source. Like just don't let them get out, which is very easy to say, but obviously quite difficult to do. I just like to see a little bit more energy in the city midfield. Um, I think you know Bernardo Silva and Foden. I think. Are often still still often used more in those kind of wide, further forward positions than they are in the middle of the pitch. Maybe I'd like to see I'd like to see a bit more of them in the middle um, because I think if it's just I think someone like Gundogan or maybe even Rodri, unless he has a good game, could get a little bit shown up by Tottenham. I'm interested as well. Just just looking at uh, the game that they played last season, um, it, it feels like there's all like, like this game is almost set up for Spurs to win at the moment, and I and I, and I wonder if that might actually go in City's favour in the long term. Um, but like I said before about Mourinho not uh, Mourinho shutting games down, City not creating too many chances, and even the penalties thing. We we went through this a couple of weeks ago when uh, when City missed again, 
Um, City, like uh, Guardiola, City have missed more penalties against Spurs than they have against anybody else. <laughs> oh well, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, it's just it just feels like everything is stacked against City for this game, and and one of the one of the reasons why I'm interested in having you on this week, Jack, as well, is because that that reminds me of how it used to feel as a City fan going into games against Spurs. City have been quite good against Spurs in the in the Mansour era, certainly since uh, Roberto Mancini came in and uh, 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 and changed the way that City play. Um, but when you think of, of City against Spurs when you were younger, um, it was I, I always think two one defeat Jermaine Defoe and Robbie Keane with the goals somehow. Yes, that is the classic, isn't it? That is the <laughs> I mean, for me, um, for me, my first City game was against Spurs, uh, October nineteen ninety four, five two. Was it five two? Was just... that was that the Terry Phelan goal no, right at the death? It was the Brian. Hort- it was under Brian Horton. City oh, City won. Sorry, yeah. So I, yeah there there we go. Naturally, assuming that City lost. <laughs> yeah, October nineteen ninety four. So I would have been six, and it was uh, yeah right at the the sort of peak of you know Brian Horton's attacking four four two, and uh, and yeah, I mean it was amazing. I was like, I was imagine seeing that as a six year old. It completely blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, you are right. Like Spurs were always right right up until about ten years ago. I mean, or after the the Peter Crouch header game, which still hurts when I think yeah. back to it. I'm so upset after that <laughs> game. Um, uh, right up to about 10 years ago, Spurs were just always like a, just a bit better than City, I think. And so there was always a frustration um, that, you know, Spurs were closer to the big boys than City were. Yeah. But, and there were a lot of pain. What was that one? God, I, I should have I should have double-checked this. Uh, was it a League Cup quarter final in uh, 2007-ish? Yeah, uh, they came to the Etihad. It was Sven City, wasn't it? Um, Spurs, yeah, Spurs came to the Etihad, and I, that was the first season for a long time where I thought we might we might be able to win this. And City just again uh, did as they always do, didn't show up, and it was it was two nil to uh, I think it was Redknapp Spurs by then. Yeah, December two thousand seven. So that would have been the Carling Cup quarter final, unless it was a Carling. Yeah, Carling yeah. Cup quarter final. Uh, Defoe Malbronk. Yeah, that's right. Zakora got sent off. And oh, twenty minutes shit. in, yeah, because he was still shit against ten men. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days. I mean, the, the other the other classic one that I always think of. Um, I mean, the, the, there was there was a few of those sorts of two one defeats as as well, uh, especially going to White Hart Lane. It was every year. It was Spurs would score two in the first half. City would score one in the second, and you'd think, oh well, go on, the fight back's on here. And no, it would just finish two one and and kind of rumble on. I remember, um, like, just I remember going there. It might have been Stuart Pearce's first game as manager. It might have been his second game. Um, but it, it looked like he'd managed to kind of G them up. And then again, I think Robbie Keane scored within like three or four minutes just to kill everything. And then, you know, it just it just kind of trundled onto this this traditional 2-1 defeat. It was horrific. Yeah, yeah. The other one that stands out to me is December 2009. The game, Mark Hughes' penultimate game as City Manager. The game that did for him. Yeah, where they lost, they were absolutely pathetic, and they lost three nil. Um, Silvino played at left back and got <laughs> destroyed by Aaron Lennon. Uh, I'm literally, I'm, I've got it up on soccer base now. God, I remember this so clearly. Uh, were you there that night? Yeah, I was there in the away end, like up at the top, because um, I uh, and I remember talking, I remember calling up one of my mates afterwards, 
no, so I left with my mate and we were chatting and we, he said, Hughes has got to go. There's no way he can survive this because City was so bad that day. Rubinho came off. I remember Rubinho was useless and came off after an hour for Rocky Santa Cruz. Um, that's just that's just come up on here on Soccer Base. <laughs> it's, not, it's not not a terrible City team. It's got Rubinho, Adebayor, Tevez. Uh, yeah, some good, some decent enough players in there. But yeah, they were really, really bad. And um, that was basically the game that got Hughes the sack. And I remember that very, very clearly. But then also, like in happier news, the uh, yeah, I've got so many good, good memories of this game. Um, the Aiden Deco four goals in twenty eleven. Yeah. Uh, I was at that game. That was. Fantastic! City wearing that brilliant red and black kit, and that was really that was one of those moments back in sort of 2010-11 or 20. So that was the start of the eleven twelve season. But right at the start, right around that time under Mancini, where there was this kind of massive realization of hold on a second, City are really good. Yeah, like, it was. It was all, all of a sudden, wasn't it? Because it, yeah. it felt like the end of 10-11, when, although they'd won the FA Cup and they they finished the season on that that winning streak, it felt still like they were. I mean, when I gave my pre-season predictions on 11-12, I remember really early on saying, I don't think City are quite there and I think they'll be second or third. And it, it just took the handbrake off and that game was a signal that they were, that they were going for it that year. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it, it, it was really weird like and kind of thrilling. And I don't think, so. I don't know if City fans younger than us would really understand this. Like if you were a City, if I was a City fan who was like 15, I wouldn't get how this felt. But to City fans of our age, being in sort of 2011-ish and then suddenly seeing City like, winning the FA Cup semi-final against Man United, winning the FA Cup, going to Tottenham and winning 5-1. And then, of course, this was about a month or two before going to Old Trafford and winning 6-1. And there was just this thing of like, oh, my God, City are really, really fucking good. Yeah. And not like, and not in a kind of like, you know, have three good games at the start of the season and then tail off way. But like, or not in a kind of like beat Man United at home, fueled by like Derby adrenaline, and then just be shit for the rest of the, for the next six weeks. Yeah, there was no like this was a team that there was no after the Lord Mayor's show, was there? With this, yeah, this was like oh my god, this is like a really really good team. So that game. Uh, I will always remember that game. That game was incredible. That game has uh, one of my. I, 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 this is this is a very geeky thing to say, and I know I, I know how it sounds. Uh, but that game has one of my two favourite headers that City have ever scored in that game because how Jacko, when that cross came in from Nasri, that was slightly behind him, and he almost had his back to goal and headed it over his own shoulder. And still left Brad Friedel just standing. I, honestly, I've never seen a header like that. Yeah, that was incredible. That was so good. And the other one where he like whips the ball into the far corner was incredible. I also love that Aguero because this was one of Aguero's first games in English football, and he's I think the goal that he scores where he's running he's running fast into the box, and I think it's Dawson. Is it Michael Dawson? Yeah, I think it's Dawson who like sees this kind of little five foot six guy charging into the box. <laughs> Who's this guy? And runs into him, just trying to knock him over. And obviously, because Aguero is so incredibly strong, and he's got that like low muscular, low sense of gravity, Dawson just bounces off him basically, yeah. and then Aguero smacks it in. So yeah, that was that was great fun. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We should mention uh, the one where City lost 2-0 to Pochettino's Tottenham 2016, so four years ago. Just that Guardiola's first Premier League defeat, I think. Yeah. And uh, just because City went there having beaten everyone so far, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's going to be brilliant, this. And... Uh, then Guad, and then they kind of got overturned by Spurs, who were really, really good then. So that stands out. Um, but I think we have to we have to mention the Champions League games from eighteen months ago. Uh, um, do we have to? <laughs> I think we do. I know it sucks. It's it's, it's obviously agony, but it's. Uh, I think we have to mention them. Well, they I, were... I, I t- I'll tell you what the fr- the frustrating thing is for the for the Champions League for me over the the last kind of uh, certainly that game and the Liverpool games from uh, the year before um, was it always felt like City were a year too late on on everything that they needed from these games. Um, yeah, like, like like the Liverpool game, uh, especially you think of the away leg where the tie was lost, uh, finished three 0 at Anfield. Um, the opening goal was was offside, and VAR would have ruled that out as offside. Um, yeah, yeah. They had a, a perfectly good away goal disallowed because that was flagged offside, and it wasn't. Um, and they had a, a, a pretty stonewall penalty on Raheem Sterling, just waved away by the officials, which which would have probably been overturned again by VAR. The year later, they bring VAR in, and City go away to Spurs. They get that that weird penalty from from uh, a, a dodgy handball, a, a VAR handball, let's say. Uh, yeah. Which Aguero manages to miss and 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 doesn't get the away goal, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, one nil away at Spurs, not a disaster. And then in that uh, in that second leg, which okay was, you know, again, I I have to accept for the neutral will be one of the best games of football I've ever seen. Um, City are knocked out because they scored a last minute winner, which. In the build-up, they had the VAR spot the offside, so now the VAR's come in. It's not helped them. Um, and then the Lorente goal, which I actually think should have stood, and it did stand. Um, but I think if the referee had been shown the angle where it had where it had come off his arm, he probably disallowed it. So it just everything felt like it was just one year too late for City at that point. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that either the Llorente or the Sterling decisions would have stood this year. I think UEFA. If I think I'm right in saying this, have well the handball rule is now strict liability, isn't it? It's, yeah, if it touches your hand on the way in, it's not. Yeah, it's not a goal. It's not. We've seen that this season. Also, I know that UEFA have slightly tweaked their approach to offsides, and they're less willing to give UEFA are basically less willing to give those incredibly marginal offside decisions now. But I just, yeah, though I think those are 
those are two of the best games I've ever been to. Certainly, the, the one at the Etihad. It was as a reporter. Um, it was just unbelievable, and I remember because being in the press box at City and knowing that it because it was, you know, my job is to write a report on the game, so I have to kind of compartmentalize my emotions as a City fan, um, and. You know, so I'm kind of sat there at my laptop writing away, and obviously, you know, you start writing a piece. You know, Son scores twice early on, so you start writing. Oh, Spurs go through, and then City come back. And frankly, I thought between between uh, between Son's second goal and the Urente goal, I thought City were absolutely phenomenal. They were just so good. And another day, they would have scored like eight goals in that period, but um, it didn't quite work out for them. And then, of course, you know, they faded a bit, and then. The Orente goal happened, but um, so it was such an enthralling game to write on, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job of keeping my emotions under wraps. <laughs> and then, yeah, so it all happens, and then you know, Orente scores. You I kind of rewrite my piece to be about Spurs going through, and then Sterling scores, and you rewrite it to be about City going through, and then the Sterling goal gets disallowed, and you go back to the back to the Spurs piece, um, and then afterwards. I was like stood in the mix zone at, uh, at the Etihad underneath the press box where you interviewed the players. And it was like, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes after the final whistle. And su- really suddenly, like the adrenaline wears off and the kind of like journalistic, you know, the journalistic side of you wears off. And suddenly I found myself like over- overwhelmed with this wave of grief that City had gotten <laughs> out. Like, oh, fuck. Oh my god, that's so upsetting! And all these other, they were surrounded by other journalists there, for whom it was just another night of work, and they were just like laughing around and chatting. And I thought, how the fuck can you guys like? Don't you realize how upsetting this is for me? This is really bad. Like, why why can't you take this as seriously as I am? And I just got so wound up about it. Yeah, um, um, I, I'll tell you what, what I did when the uh, the decision came through um, was I, I just punched a coffee table. I was sat at home watching the game on TV, um, knowing that I had to go to work the next day with a Spurs fan. Um, oh my God. So I, I I punched a coffee table, um, and I'm not even I'm not a violent man. I am not. I promise you, I'm not a violent man. Yeah, it was. Uh, it still it still hurts. Uh, and it was still, and it was just the most amazing buzz when Sterling scored. That's the thing. Yeah. And it was kind of before people, before people had fully twigged that when there was a goal, you would have to wait for VAR. It was like in that period of innocence where people thought they could celebrate goals, and it was absolutely wild in the stadium. And then, of course, it got disallowed. And oh my god, like, yeah. yeah. But it was a great game. It was a really, really, really great game. Well, let, let's finish on a positive then, because what was it like going into school the next day um, after City had won 4-3 at White Hart Lane uh, in the FA Cup back in t- 2004? Oh, yeah, it was great. It was uh, it was really, really good. So actually, there weren't that many there weren't that many Spurs fans at my school, but there were lots of... Um, my school was mainly Man United fans, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, it was cool. I can't... Uh, that game was amazing. Although that was back when, when like that was back in that era of Manchester City, where like one ridiculous or incredible thing would happen to City every year or so. Usually like beating United, but in this case, <laughs> this incredible comeback. And then like City would be shit for the rest of the year, and then the next year like there'd be another great, another like hilarious thing would happen. And yeah. this was kind of you know if you're listening, City fans out you know if you're listening to this like 15 year old City fans, that's how it used to be. You know it didn't always used to be uh, 
Champions League quarterfinals and uh, Kansas City, Kansas City re- re- regain the Premier League trophy. It used to be, um, yeah, very, very different. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, I used to play football on a Wednesday night with uh, with my dad at a local five a side centre, and we oh, got cool. on. We went onto the pitch at, at half time in this game, so we knew that City were three nil down uh, at White Hart Lane. We knew that Joey Barton had been sent off. Uh, and they were going to come out for the second half with ten men, having had Nicholas and Elka go off injured, and yeah. just just thinking, well, there's there's no way that City are going to do anything on this. And I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll, I'll name him. The referee was a, a, a bloke called Nigel, um, and uh, it was a massive United fan. And all the way through the, the game that that we're playing, he's, he's checking his phone. And he's going, oh, City have scored, and we're going, oh, no, it doesn't matter. We don't care. And then he's like, I hey, know it's it, it's three three. It's like, yeah, yeah, piss off, Nigel. It's not it's not funny now. And he was like, no, no, City have won. And I honestly didn't listen to the radio on the way home. Like, still can't can't remember what score we we played out at five aside. Um, got home, and it was only when we when we opened the door that Mum said, you know, they've won, don't you? And we went, no, we thought thought he was making it up. All this, all that time, we thought he was making up. Watch the highlights, and then uh, the very first thing that uh, that my United supporting friends, uh, or one of my United supporting friends, said to me when uh, we walked into the science labs for first period the next day was just, "What a fluke!" Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I just kind of remember. I don't even remember if, I was, if we were watching it. I just remember like screaming at at teletext with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> This is, I mean, that's uh, another thing that we, that we don't do from from days gone by is, is watch games on teletext. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah, that's, that takes me back. <laughs> right, well, that uh, that Jack, I think is a is a lovely way to end this week's show. Um, you've been listening to Why Always Us and uh, Jack Pitbrook. Oh, thanks for having me. And to me, David Mooney. Don't forget, you can sign up to the Athletic right now for just one pound a week by using the code Man City Pod. Mm-hmm.